Well, good morning, uh, whether you're with us on campus or online. Uh, my name's Kerry Robinson, and I'm the senior pastor here, and I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, and I watched online with uh, hundreds of you who do that every week, and I just have to say I'm really, really grateful for Pastor Johnny and Pastor Kayla and the messages that they brought to you in my absence. Um, I do want you to know I didn't coach them either one. I actually said, you guys preach whatever you want to preach, and they did, and it was awesome, and I'm grateful that I get to work with uh, young adults. I think Kayla's still a young adult. Is, is 35 still a young adult? I just gave her away, age away. I'm in trouble, okay? Uh, but uh, but we, we are so grateful uh, that, that God has put together uh, a team as he's put here. And for those of you who are, who are online with us, particularly today in this sub-zero weather, uh, I, I'm feeling really, really thankful. I was telling uh, the, the worship team and, and the folks uh, earlier today after rehearsal that uh, uh, years ago, uh, we, started, we started streaming here in January of 2020 before I had ever heard of COVID. Uh, and the reason we started streaming was a day like this in 2019. Uh, because in 2019, we had a big weekend, sub-zero, only a whole lot more snow than this. And um, had a lot of churches had to cancel. We went down to like one service that day. And, uh, and one of our senior saints came to me. And this was, was a true conversation happened right down here. She walked and said, uh, Pastor, uh, a friend of mine goes to a church and they have this new thing called FaceTime. And I'm like, huh? And she says, and they have this thing called Facebook Live. And I'm like, what? Uh, are you talking? She was in her 80s. And I'm like, so you, I mean, are your grandkids getting you into this? She goes, no, my friends were talking and their church last week had 500 Facebook Live views. Why don't we do that? I'm like, well, it costs money to do stuff like that. She said, how much? I don't know, y'all. I really had no idea. So I just made up a number. I did what any good pastor would do, all right? I made up a number, and I thought it was big enough to make her go away, all right? And it wasn't. And, and she said, well, have somebody make sure that's a real number. So I did, and I came back a week later, and here's what you need to know. The number I gave her that I thought was so big, it was three times that much. And so I did what any really, really good pastor would do. I dodged her. I mean, if she came in that door, I went out that door, all right? I did this until Easter of 2019, at which she came up to me afterwards and said, hey, uh, pastor, you've been dodging me. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, and why? And I said, well, because it's going to cost this much money. She went, wow, just a minute. And she walked back to the back of the sanctuary, and she got her husband out of a conversation, and I saw heads going and another head going, whoa. And then... She came marching right back up here and said, you will have the money by Friday. Get it done. I said, it's going to take us a little while. Now, here's the beauty of what God does. That family, that couple, uh, three months later, uh, the, the, by the way, the money was here on Friday, and it covered the installation. But what happened was that um, he had a massive heart attack and died in May of that year. And um, she is now in a, in a nursing home in an Alzheimer's unit and, um, and is not able to, uh, to even watch the stream. But when COVID hit in 2020, in March, we had started streaming in January. And I tell you that because on a day like today, I remember how good God has been and the things God has done for us. And so for the hundreds of you who are, 
who are out uh, in our online community, I'm grateful for you. And in, in fact, I'm really, really grateful because when we got our end of the year um, information in on terms of contributions, you in the online community, you gave 36% of our total income last year. And I'm so thankful for your faithfulness. Uh, even though I can't see you, you obviously can see us. And for your devotion to our mission to lift up Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, as reconciler for the world so that people can discover hope. I thank you on campus and online for that. Today we launch a, a series called um, Launch Your Life. And it's, uh, it's designed to help us figure out what it means to leave behind our patterns that have not brought health and find patterns that do. And I've, I've chosen and in prayer and, and study uh, to, to focus this series on the relationship between Jesus and the Apostle Peter. It's a volatile relationship. It's a relationship that has many twists and turns. And, and I just want to thank you uh, for being here today because I want to invite you into this relationship. Because if you've been in church and I ask you, well, when did Jesus and Peter meet? Uh, 85%, 90% of you are going to say something like, well, you know, there was this one day when Peter and his business partners, James and John, had been fishing and they hadn't caught any fish and Jesus showed up because uh, he was teaching people and he asked to borrow their boat. You need to know that was not the first time Jesus met Peter. It was not the first time Peter met Jesus. In fact, what, what Luke tells us is that after Jesus' baptism, after his temptation in the desert, Jesus came back to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he came back to his hometown of Nazareth and, and he uh, began to teach in the synagogue, they pulled a, a, the scroll of Isaiah out and he read a portion of that scroll. And it was a messianic promise. And he said, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. And the people who grew up around him could not fathom that the Messiah was from their little town. <laughs> They'd watch, in fact, they said, aren't you Joseph's boy? Aren't you Mary's son? Haven't we watched you grow up? In fact, they, they were so taken back by his claim that, that they actually, actually tried to push him off a cliff. And Jesus walked through that. And he left Nazareth and went to a town about a day's walk away called Capernaum. Capernaum was on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was where Peter lived. And Peter was a Jewish man. And like every good Jewish man, when it was Sabbath, he went to synagogue. And, and so he went to synagogue. And here was this, this teacher, this, this carpenter turned teacher. They say he had done some miracles, but he had come in that day and, and he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And so here's Peter sitting in his normal seat, sitting in his place where he always fit in that, in that synagogue where he went every Sabbath day. And now suddenly there's a new rabbi there's a new teaching, and, and you've got to know, when that happens, it rocks Peter's world, but not just Peter's, everybody in the house. Because while he's teaching, there's this man who's possessed of a demon. Now, I don't know what your, your perspective is on that. What I know is the man began to shout out in the synagogue at Jesus and saying, Jesus, we know who you are. We meaning we in the demonic community. We know who you are. And we know you've come here. Have you come here to, to get rid of us, to torture us? And, and Jesus turns to this man who's filled with this spirit of evil, and he says to him, 
be quiet. Only he doesn't say it to the man. He says it to the spirit, the demon inside of him. And immediately Jesus says, come out. And the demon comes out. And the man falls limp on the floor. He's not harmed. And the people in the synagogue are like, wow, we've never seen anybody do anything like this. We've never heard anybody do anything like this. And, and so Peter, being who he was, in fact, at that point, his name is Simon Peter, and nobody was calling him Peter because Peter means rock, and he was not a very solid kind of individual. And, and so Simon Peter takes and invites this teacher to his house for lunch after synagogue, right? Come, come to my house, man. You've, you've done something I've never seen before. You show up at my house. And so Simon Peter shows up at, or Jesus shows up at Simon Peter's house. And here's the deal. It was in that first century Jewish culture, and Simon had invited him home. But the fact is, Simon's wife and mother-in-law were the ones who were supposed to do all the work. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's upstairs with a fever. And so when they get to the house, uh, Simon's like, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. You know, it's not like going with the protocols of our culture. And, and Jesus is like, it's okay. Take me to where she is. And so he goes upstairs, and Luke records it in an interesting way in Luke chapter 4. He says that, that Jesus, just like he had talked straightly to that demon, he actually addresses the fever. <laughs> you don't hear that in any of the other gospels much. Jesus doesn't like address the sickness exactly, uh, not exactly like this. And he says to the fever in Simon Peter's mom's body, leave this woman. And the fever leaves. Now, she comes down. And they begin to share in the meal. And, and word of this goes out through this coastal town of Capernaum. And, and, and then out, people are talking all day long on the Sabbath about this teacher who threw out a demon in the synagogue and went to Simon Peter's house. And, and there he, he, actually, he actually healed his mother-in-law. And, and now suddenly when the sun goes down, when the sun goes down on Saturday, which is Sabbath, in the Jewish culture. Then when the sun goes down, then there's a release of, of movement and a release of what you can do. The Sabbath is now over, and people begin to come from all over, and they begin to bring these people to, to Jesus. People with demons, people with illnesses, people with, with broken bones, people, people who are lame, people who are blind, and they're bringing them. And, and what Luke tells us is this amazing thing. All night long, Jesus touches each one of those who are broken that are brought to him. He doesn't do this kind of thing. Oh, there's a big crowd. Let me pray over all of you. If you're here, raise your hand. No, 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 that's not what he does. He individually, one by one by one, looks them in the face, puts his hands on their shoulder, their head, their hands, and individually he prays for them one by one. And every one of them's healed. As the night goes on, eventually the crowd subsides. People go home to rest. And Jesus goes out to pray. And, and the people in Capernaum are so moved by, by what had happened that, that now they're going looking for this teacher from Nazareth. Where, where is this Jesus guy? And so they, and so they go out and, and they find him in a solitary place praying. And they say, hey, Come back to our, to our town. <laughs> come, come be in our synagogue. Come, come stay with us. And, and, and Jesus says, no. 
It's an interesting piece. What Jesus says is no, because I have come that everyone might hear the gospel. That everyone might know that God loves. I didn't just come for this little town. I didn't just come for my little place. I didn't just come for my needs, my wants. No, 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 no. I came so that others would hear the gospel. I tell you that story today because when Jesus walked over to Peter, when the huge crowd had come many days later, some time later, and, and Jesus walks up to Peter on the Sea of Galilee, and Peter's cleaning his nets, and, and the boat is sitting there, and the crowd is large, and he's trying to find out, you know, hey, uh, the, the pressing against me, can I use your boat? Peter wasn't a stranger when Jesus asked for the boat. Peter was someone whose relationship with Jesus had already been initiated, but it had been initiated by an introduction. What Jesus was doing in Capernaum, what he tried to do in Nazareth, what he wants to do in your life is he wants to introduce you to the kingdom of God. He wants you to see that in the kingdom of God, there's a different set of values. In the kingdom of God, there's a different way of caring. In the kingdom of God, there is a mission to bring hope into the lives of the hopeless. And that's what he had done in Capernaum. And that's why when he said to Peter, uh, look, the crowd's pretty big and I need to push out a little bit away. Can, can I borrow your boat? Peter's like, sure, teacher, borrow my boat. Why? Because he had already been introduced. He had already seen what God could do through Jesus. This morning, as we talk about launching, we're going to do a, a little bit of kind of celebrating some things that God did here at Eastside in 2023. Uh, we're not going to take a lot of time with it, but there are a couple of videos that we made throughout the year that I just kind of wanted to show you because I want you to understand what it looks like to see the kingdom of God at work. And if you haven't seen the kingdom of God at work or if you've been so wrapped up in your pain, in your fear, in your heartache that you've been so negative about what the life has been, I want you to see some positive results of what God can do in the kingdom. Look at this video. I thought I should show you some stuff, some footage from last July to warm you up today, all right? Uh, because that was a great, great day and a great summer. Our friend Toppen Borman from Bangladesh um, was here sharing with us about a new ministry. Um, many of us, we've had work camps that have been in Bangladesh uh, with Toppen over the, in fact, uh, Mike Webb uh, and Andy Sabiam and some others from our church were actually with 
uh, uh, topping last, uh, this last uh, October, November timeframe uh, in the place that he was talking about. And you saw the, the footage here uh, because if you remember, those of you who were here in July, that Toppin was talking about starting a ministry, a house of hope in the largest brothel in the world because there's an entire community in Bangladesh that has been there for years of, quite honestly, thousands of, of women who are enslaved in the sex trade. And they are outcast, and their children are outcast, and it's a whole economic system that has, that has put them there, and no one, no one is giving them life and love and grace and mercy. And Toppin is beginning to start that with House of Hope, and it's actually up and running, and I just uh, wanted you to be reminded to see that that's what the kingdom is about, and that we have partners, people we support, people who we pray with, people who pray for you, people who are in the online community who are part of what we are doing, and we're a part of what they're doing. It's just like Peter sitting in his synagogue and seeing Jesus deliver a man from oppression. These people are at work delivering people from oppression. And part of what it means to launch your life is to be introduced into this kingdom of God where Jesus is in charge and the world cannot overcome him. It's the song Heather helped us sing this morning. We know who's already won the battle. We know the victory belongs to Jesus Christ. And so if you want to launch your life, You've got to learn to see the places where God is at work instead of being fixated on the places that are making you afraid or making you feel like things are not working well. Whatever that is, it's, it's, it's a shift of gaze. That's what happened for, for Peter because here's the deal. The introduction to the kingdom is not enough. There has to be an intervention in your life. And when Jesus asked to borrow that boat, that's when he made the intervention. Well, not at first. He just borrowed the boat, right? And then he's talking to the crowd. And then when he finishes talking, you remember the story, those of you who've been to church? If, if, if you don't know the story, let me tell you. It's in Luke chapter 5. It starts in verse 1. What, what happens is that Jesus asked to borrow this boat, and he teaches to the people. And Now, the, the deal is, remember, these guys were cleaning their nets. Uh, they, they had already been fishing. And Jesus turns to them after he's taught the crowd, and he says to Peter, who he knows, hey, did you catch anything? What, what was your catch like overnight? Sir, we didn't catch a thing, Rabbi. I mean, teacher, we, we, we didn't catch a thing. It was a bad night fishing. And then Jesus says, well, listen, let's go fishing. Would you just push your boat out into, into the sea? Push the boat out. Now, it's at that moment that the intervention starts. Because you've got to understand, Peter and his business partners, James and John, who are in the next boat over, they're fishermen. This is what they do. They're from Capernaum. That's the entire economy. Jesus is from Nazareth. Jesus is a carpenter. Now, I need to clarify that word carpenter. We often think hammer, nail, wood, that kind of thing. No, in the first century in Nazareth, they were, they were near some of the Roman expansion in the Roman Empire. And actually, the word that's translated carpenter actually is, is, comes from the concept of a quarryman, someone who works with stone. Jesus, from the time he was little, was involved in the building trade, learned it from his father, Joseph, who we all know after Christmas was not his real father, but was his father. And, and so here's this stone worker talking to a fisherman and saying, hey, let me show you how to do it. 
Now, why in the world would Peter say yes to that? Because Peter had been introduced to the concept of the kingdom. He had seen what happened with his mother-in-law. He had seen what had happened to all the people who came. He had seen what happened in the synagogue. And so here's, he says to, to Jesus, hey, Jesus, if you say so. Because <laughs> here's what happens. Did you notice? They met in a place of worship. They fellowshiped in Peter's home. And now Jesus shows up at Peter's work. See, the gospel should always be something that is involved in the holistic part of your life. Years ago, when I was a young pastor, and I was pastoring in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and one of my parishioners, a lady who came all the time, came to me and said, my husband never goes to church. He's a, he's a golden glove boxer. He's a mechanic down here at the thing. He's nice. He likes you. But the fact is, he didn't want to come to church. Could, could you just go by and like, visit him at work? I'm like, sure, I can do that. So I go into his place of work. It was interesting, as I parked my car and got out of the car and started walking into the, into the garage, the guy at the front said rather interestingly and very loudly, hello, preacher. That was the call to everybody there. Put out your cigarettes, stop cussing, hide the beer bottle, you know. And as I turned the corner to see the guy I was going to see, I got there just in time to see him take a cigarette and flip it. And he flips it, only God could do this, into a can of oil. It was like, whoa. His name was David, and if he's listening online, David, I love you, man, you know this, right? I'm telling the truth. I looked at David, and I said, David, listen, man. I know smoking's not good for you, but burning us all up is not good for any of us. <laughs> so just, just go ahead and smoke the cigarette next time I come in, all right? So, so here, here's, here's what I want you to know. It's out of those kind of places where you think you've isolated and God's not there or you have to act better so that, you know. No, no, God, God wants to come and meet you. And I'm going to suggest to you that the main intervention the main intervention where he moves from introducing you to the concept of the kingdom where people are healed and, and brokenness is restored and hope is given is, is now it moves into your daily life, into whoever you are and wherever you work and whatever's going in. Students, it's into your classrooms. It's into your dorm rooms. It, it, it's into your, your clubs, into your fraternities, into your sororities. It's in those places where the intervention comes. And what does the intervention look like? Well, the intervention looks like Jesus saying to you, do something that goes against everything you think is right. And trust me in this. Because you know the story, some of you. For those of you who don't, they put out the boat. And when they get to the deep water, the place where there really shouldn't be any fish at that time of day, they're patronizing Jesus, to be honest with you. Peter's just like, okay, I'll go out. You're the teacher. And they get out there, and he puts the nets over. And some of you know the story, right? Fish just come jumping in the net. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, they're just fish everywhere. And they're pulling the nets in, and they're filling the boat up. And, and Peter, Peter then yells out for James and John, hey, guys, bring the other boat. Bring the other nets. Get out here. There's more fish than we've ever seen at this time of day, more fish than we've ever seen any time of day. And as they're pulling the fish in and doing what they know how to do, suddenly it dawns on Peter, wait a minute, the reason this is happening is because the same guy who healed my mother-in-law, the same guy who delivered the man from the demon, the same guy who was healing all of those people, that guy just told me to do this. See, that's an intervention. 
It's not enough just to be introduced to the gospel. No, 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 no. Sometime you've got to have an intervention where it changes who you are deep down inside. And the first thing that happens with an intervention is you realize just how unworthy you are. Because that's what happened to Peter. Peter turned to Jesus and said, get away from me. I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to have anybody like you in my life. And Jesus says, Peter, that's, that's not true. In fact, I'm here for you and for people like you. So, Peter, listen. If you'll leave behind what you've been doing and come with me, I'm going to show you a whole new way of life if you'll accept my invitation. This morning, I, I prepared all week to have a way to try to give you a glimpse into what God is doing and how he's using this church in many, many ways. But then the list was so long, we'd have been here for a couple of hours. And so I, I thought I should pick just a couple of the things that, that if you're here with us online or on, on campus on Sunday morning, you may not have picked up, particularly if you're new. See, one, one of those is that uh, you heard us mention earlier in the video announcements about if you're new here, there's a a handmade mug for you from Eastside Studios. We didn't begin Eastside Studios seven or eight years ago in order to make mugs for visitors. We began Eastside Studios in order to reach a segment of the population that often feels rejected by church. People who, who are artists, people who have gifts and Amazingly, even though most great art began in the church in the Middle Ages, it has been pushed out of the church through the Puritan theology that invaded this country. And so you have artists who feel like they don't belong. And yet the art community is a group of people who need Jesus too. And so we took one of the 10 houses that we've purchased over the last 20 years around this church and we converted it into a studio. And we give people who are artists free space, a studio space, if they will teach to people their gifts. And we show them love and grace and mercy. And, and since the pandemic, it was one of the first ministries where people began to come back into that ministry. The pandemic shut it completely down. But in the last year, over 250 different people, many of whom do not have a church connection at all, have come through that little four-bedroom house that we turned into an art studio. And they have these, these conversations with the director of the studio and with the other teachers there. What kind of church, what kind of church would do this, <laughs> would give us a space? They don't tell us to clean ourselves up before we come in. They, they just give us space to honor the creativity inside of us. And we get a chance to tell them, well, it's the kind of church that believes that God put that creativity in you. See, that, that's the kind of thing that introduces people to the kingdom. That's the kind of thing that brings about an opportunity for an intervention. That's the kind of thing. It, some of you know that we have guest houses. 
houses that we stage, that, that we actually prepare. We, we, we uh, put all the towels and sheets and all that. If you, if you go on Verbo, I promise you, you're not going to go in any Verbo condominium anywhere in the country that's any better than the, than the furnished any better than the ones, the houses we have here. And we provide those houses to ministers and missionaries in transition. In the last 24 months, we have had residents in our guest houses from Sri Lanka, from Paraguay, from, uh, um, from Costa Rica, from Argentina, uh, from the Caribbean, um, Jamaica, all, all of that. And, and we don't charge those people a thing to stay there, unlike Verbo. It's our gift to them. We've had ministers who were between positions, who needed a place to live for a couple of months until their new assignment began. We've had missionaries who come home. We have international leaders. All of these people who stay in our guest houses, and the only thing they pay for is they, I'm sorry, they have to pay for their Wi-Fi because the, 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 the company here in town will not let us pay for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> but everything else, utilities, supplies, all of that, that you provide that from your tithes and your offerings. In fact, you've actually, just this last year, that value add to those people was over $20,000 in value add because many of them have to pay somewhere to rent when they're here in the States. And we're giving that to them as our gift to them. It's, it's a, a new way of missions that understands a global connection. See, when you start being introduced to the power of the kingdom, when you start being introduced to what God wants to do, then suddenly there's these, these places, these moments of intervention, and you begin, like Peter, to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I can't be involved in that. That's, that's too good. I'm not good enough. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen, my kingdom is full of broken people. What was the book title from about 30 years ago? Ragamuffin Gospel. We're all just a group of ragamuffins that he pulls together, brings together, and empowers. You see, when we start talking about launching our life, we have to be open to the introduction, and we have to be open to the intervention, and then, then we have to actually respond to the invitation. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing, Kayla talked about it on the video a moment ago, about plant. I, I actually have the new plant, one of the new plant workbooks. To, let me explain what this means. Plant is prepare your heart, lean into God's word, analyze what it is you read, then ask the Holy Spirit to tell you the next steps that you need to do. Because It's not enough just to read the word of God. Most Western Christians are educated far beyond the level of our obedience. Most of us know more about God than we actually know God. And so our team came up with this because that last, that T in plant, it means take that next step. Take action on it. And, and we're gonna, we've prepared the material to help you, whatever your situation is, online community, on-campus community. If you have a group of people, then it, it's designed to be used. It's a daily walk through the Gospel of Mark that leads us up to Easter this year. And individually, you get an individual workbook, you can do it yourself. You don't need anybody else with you. But if you'd like to have some people to hold you accountable, some people to share life with, then if you've got a group of friends, you can do these individually and then come together once a week. My group meets on Tuesday nights 
And we often begin our meetings talking about what are our roses, our good things, what are our thorns, the things that, that, are, that, that are giving us a hard time in our life. You pray together, you, you, you check on each other. You can do it as a group, or you can do it individually. But here's the beauty of this. You can also do it with your family. You can do it with your children, parents. It's designed that the family workbook is designed as such a thing that your elementary age children can be a part of it. This is when we start talking about what it means to accept the invitation after the intervention of Jesus in your life. It means taking advantage of things like this. It means understanding that God is at work. And, and then the last thing I, I want to say to you is that it means looking forward with hope. Uh, last fall, I got a, a phone call from a young man. So, some of you will recognize his name. Um, he won this thing called The Voice on television a few years back. College students, I've already done the math. You were in first grade. Relax, all right? We don't expect you to know him. But his name is Josh Kaufman. And when Josh was a college student, he worshiped here. Josh's parents are Church of God pastors in Virginia. I've known I've known Josh and his talent since he was a high school student in Florida traveling with New Way Singers. And um, Josh called and said, hey, Pastor Kerry, could we have lunch? I said, sure, Josh. Enjoyed watching you on TV. I've seen reviews of your Broadway stuff. You know, I know you're back in Indy. Um, could we, you know, yeah, sure, let's have lunch. And so we had lunch, and he began to tell me his story of how as a college student majoring in philosophy at a Christian school, he began to walk away from his faith in Jesus Christ and how he began to look in lots of places and that then there, there was this season when he had looked in lots and lots of places and, as he said, tried to make a life in lots and lots of things and God began to call back to him. It wasn't one of the traditional kind of I went to church and no, it was more this one-on-one -on -one relationship we were talking about where God began to speak to Josh. And he said, I, 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 this is my journey. And I have a friend who also used to attend Eastside with me when we were college students named Tim Sheff. Tim's a worship pastor now out in Iowa. And both of us have been through lots of stuff in the 20 years since we were college students. And, and we've been wondering about if people really understand what they sing. And so we, we've, been put, we've been researching the origins of contemporary Christian music. In fact, some of you who are going to, if you nod yes to this, you're going to date yourself, okay, very quickly, all right? But we'll go back to Phil Kagey and Larry Norman and some of, those, some of those early 70s kind of people, and we're looking at their music. Some of it coming out of the movie that came out last year about the Jesus People movement. But he said, uh, he said, we've been looking at that and just wondering if the church might want to rediscover that. And so would it be possible for us to come to Eastside? and kind of share a story. And so since Sarah McLaughlin works with them and we have, we've set up, here's why I'm telling you the story. Three weeks from today, on February 4th, Josh and Tim and Sarah will be here and we're gonna do one service, just this service. I had to tell it first service so they would not come that day. But we will join the two services together. We will, we will spend some time hearing what God has been doing musically and in God's word that morning. I want to encourage you, if you've got a friend who doesn't know Jesus 
or you've got a friend who's walked away from church and walked away from Jesus for whatever reason, I want to invite you to invite them to be with us that morning. Three weeks from today, February 4th, if it snows or goes below zero again, get here if you can. If we can get them here, we'll get it online for you, okay? But we just, we want you to know that we're going to give you opportunities. And there's one final thing I want to ask you to do as you consider the introduction, the intervention, and whether or not you'll accept the invitation of Jesus. Last year, we began to pray about the things we were discovering in our community post-pandemic. One one writer that I've read talks about the fact that the pandemic was the the largest global, the, the, the biggest global trauma that has happened with all the political stuff around it, with all the different vaccine, don't vaccine, all the different stuff we've all lived through. It's the largest sociological trauma since World War II that was global in nature. Everybody in the globe had to deal with it in some form or fashion. And, and the authors that I'm quoting, uh, Carl Vader's uh, work, talks about using trauma therapy to understand where the needs are. And so what we began to do is look and see where needs were. And one of the things that we discovered is that um, there's a, there is a need, even though there are some wonderful child care providers in our area, there's need for more. And so we began to pray. And some of you know, last fall we, we were awarded a grant from the Early Learning Initiative of Indiana to begin uh, what is called Kids Place Early Learning Center, or Child Development Early Learning Center. And, um, and so that, that grant arrived in our bank account at the end of December. And so we are beginning work with contractors because we have to do some changing to our facility, uh, adding things like, you know, fire suppression system and um, disability uh, restrooms and things like that for the children. And so we're beginning that work. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to pray for three things. I want you to pray, first of all, um, just that we will be wise stewards of everything that God gives us an opportunity to do. Secondly, I want to ask you to pray for the contractors, for what they're going to, with what, how we're going to do that. And then thirdly, I want to ask you to pray that, uh, that our team, Pastor Kronz, Pastor Randolph, uh, our administrator, Wendy Fridley, the rest of us will find the right person that God has prepared to lead this organization, this, this new ministry, and, um, and pray with us that we will find the person who understands the mission of what God is calling us to do and that, and that we will go forward with this in a, in a way that honors Jesus Christ. Because here's what I know. When those fish were coming in the boat and Peter felt unworthy, and he turned to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Jesus looked at him, and he didn't say, oh, go get a bigger boat, see what I can do. He said, no, you come with me. I'm going to show you a new way of life. I'm going to show you how, how to change the lives of people. My friends, online, on campus, later this week on demand, whether you're in Indiana or Kansas or Florida or Texas. Oh, and to the family in Colorado who sent us a Christmas card saying, celebrating our fourth Christmas in the Eastside online community. 
Thank you very much. We're glad to know you're there. And um, we're grateful that you're a part of us. I want to invite you to pray with us that this ministry will also help people discover hope where they're living. When you came in today or early in the service, someone gave you a little white card. It's blank. Some of you were looking at it like, that's not the pastor's business card, right? No, it's not. But what I want you to do is to take it out. And I've asked the, the, the vocal team and the band to come. And there's this wonderful song. Uh, Brandon Lake does it, I think. Did he, did he write it? Brandon write it? Yeah. And um, it, it, it talks about our gratitude for who we are in Jesus Christ, for who Jesus Christ is for us. And, and so what I want to ask you to do this morning is in just a minute, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to sing this song with us. And as you sing, or as I pray for you, I want you to ask God to show you something you, you believe he wants to intervene in your life. How he wants, what, what invitation is he giving you for 2024? Got the cards? Oh, and for those of you who are in the online community, get a paper, piece of pencil, a pencil, piece of paper. We'll get that right. Or if you want to use, even here on campus, if you want to use your digital device, if that's where you keep your reminders, that's fine, all right? So I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me if you're on campus? Those of you in the online community, prepare to listen to God, and let's pray together. Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, you are the one who sent Jesus into a little fishing town called Capernaum. You are the one who sent him to the synagogue and to Peter's house and then had him right where Jesus could talk to him. And this morning, Father, I can't help but believe that there are some of us in the sound of my voice, whether on campus or online, who are in places in our lives where we really need to hear you tell us how much you love us, even when we feel unworthy, who need to hear you speak into our life and invite us to work in the kingdom, <laughs> who need to, to know that you're at work in our home, you're at work in our worship, you're at work in our jobs. Lord, you are always for us. And this year, our prayer is that we will hear you well. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray.